You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at 3 p.m. And we're heard exclusively here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net. We're broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in the tech space facility in beautiful Costa Mesa. If you're listening to the show in the future as a podcast, we do encourage you to consider listening to our shows live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Commerce National Bank, Smart Business Magazine, and Smart Stop Self Storage. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs and business owners, make better and more informed decisions through the conversations that I have with our guests. And here in the first segment, we actually have two guests, which is exciting. I'd like to introduce, first of all, Deborah Hoffmeyer. She is CEO of CI Trials. Deborah, welcome to the program. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. And I'd also like to welcome Lisa Getz, who is the marketing director for CI Trials. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. It's great to have both of you here in the studio. Why don't we start with you, Deborah? Could you share a little bit about your professional background, sort of what you did prior to CI Trials? Um, I was a student, and I primarily did uh, research in the academic uh, field, and then I did work for a brief period of time with a small uh, private company similar to mine. How did you get the idea or the inspiration for starting your firm? Um, I would say it kind of it came from... You know, working with um, academic institutes and, and understanding more about research and what it was all about and why it was important, and then going into a private field where it was it's just a different feel about it and um, a little more competitive, and, and working with both of them and really trying to find a happy medium between the two so that we really could make a meaningful difference in healthcare. And what is it that your firm does, and why are you different than others who are in your space? Um, CI Trials is a fast-growing clinical research company, and we specialize in psychiatric and internal medicine clinical trials. These are to help advance development of new medications. You know, CI Trials has been conducting research in diseases and disorders of great concern to families and communities, and that's kind of our our focus. Uh, When I say psychiatry, I mean depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Um, We're doing a lot of work in dementia and um, AD, um, some autism as well. Um, and then I would say primarily a couple of things uh, stand out, I would, I would say, that make us a little different. First of all, we're a female-owned company. I'm a non-physician, and it's not typical in this, in this industry. But I think what I bring to the industry and to, our, to um, CI Trials really is uh, a, a variety of experiences and also a deep understanding for business and not just the, the medical uh, science side. Right. And then uh, additionally, I would say that because CA Trials has a group of great physicians, um, I think, I don't know, Lisa, I think we have, we have five sites and maybe 20 physicians that are part of our group. Mm. Um, at each site, we have uh, two to three principal investigators. And this has been a really, it has been very, very challenging, but also very exciting to start to work with new and exciting physicians, physicians who have great experience, who are very well known in the community who um, have access to patients and really are, you know, caring or concerned about research and really trying to help develop the industry and help develop new treatments for patients. I didn't know much about what you do and what your industry is, and I won't claim that I know a lot more, but I have done from <laughs> meeting you and spending time with you, getting gaining an appreciation for the challenge of matching the right 
patients to the trials to give the best quality results possible for the companies? Because you're working with some of the largest corporations, global corporations in the world, aren't you, in the, in the drug manufacturers, et cetera. These are significant global entities that are counting on firms like yours to provide them with the really high-integrity data as well. Oh, absolutely. I've, I mean, some of our clients were doing projects with Otsuka Pharmaceuticals, uh, Synovian, Takeda Pharmaceuticals. We have a great relationship with Roche Pharmaceuticals. AbbVie, we have a great couple programs with AbbVie. They're a very exciting um, company. Lundback is a great company. Um, we've worked with the Johnson & Johnson, EA Lilly, These are names BMS, that, right. AstraZeneca. Yeah, see? Yeah. All those, seen right. their commercials, understand the, yeah. you know, their right. presence in the space and their global companies. I'm going to focus for just one question, if I can, on you, Lisa, sure. as marketing director. Because of the niche that you're in, what is the role of marketing for CI trials? Well, it's really trying to recruit the right subjects and also getting our, our name out there and really our brand. And we do a lot of social media and we do a lot of advertising, television, radio, um, print. So um, it, it encompasses all of that, just sending out the right message. Because you not only need to attract the customers that will hire you to do the trials, you need to find the people Exactly. Who yes. are the right demographic and right. have the right condition? I mean, may not use the right words, but have right. are the right people for the trials, right? Oh, absolutely. And that, I know something that Lisa and her team, as well as myself, I'm very involved um, in all of the events that we do, and it's it's very exciting to have people come in and to meet with new groups and to be able to say, yeah, we think we can we can help in this in this area and find a niche where maybe whether it's kids or geriatrics population or just the regular adult population, a specific disease state. And give them the access to treatment that they they never would have had right. had it not been for clinical trials. Right. right. Well, that I never even considered that. But you're right. You're yes. you're giving them an early opportunity at possible treatments. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, there's a real opportunity for a benefit for them. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the most mm-hmm. rewarding parts, I think, of my job. Wow, I didn't even dawn on me now. I'm tripping over my own words. But it sounds like there must be an emotional component to this business too, right? I mean, you're. You're in the healthcare marketplace, yeah. right? You're, oh, absolutely. You're helping heal people. Oh, yeah. I think one of the, you know, I don't know about you, Lisa, but I mean, I can reflect on some of the, some of the patients that we've had over the years, and they, they come in and they're just, you know, really sick, and it's just, it's, you know, it breaks your heart. Their families are disrupted, and in some cases, broken. They come in and you, you put them in a study and you work with them, and in some, in most cases, the pharmaceutical companies are really great about doing the best they can to do compassionate care after studies and making sure that the patients are taken care of. And you see a patient all the way through to when the drug goes to market, and then they're doing great. They, they're working at Honda Center or somewhere, oh and they're playing instruments at coffee. I mean, it's just it's great to feel like you have a positive impact on not just. The disease state and that whole um, environment and that whole society within, you know, within Orange County or LA County or San Diego County or Riverside County, because all of our sites are all of, cover all of Southern California. Uh-huh. But that within the general community of itself, because who, I mean, it's great to be able to have these people functioning and working and doing, being productive parts of the community, and right. and that's the feedback you hear from them too. Is oh, it feels so good to be a part of the community again, to be a productive part of society. And, and that just, you know, oh, it just feels good. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, just impacting quality of life. It's, it's a really, really rewarding um, position to be in, you know, right. going out in the community and, and like Deborah was saying, meeting people yeah. that, that maybe haven't tried any new medications or don't have the option to. And we can do that and, and everything's covered at no cost to them. So it's a great, 
thing to be a part of. One last question in this area, just because you've gotten my curiosity going, and I know we have a bunch of other questions that we're going to get to, but I can't help myself. It's my show, and I want to ask this question, so if you don't mind, uh, it's, it's one of privileges. Yes. I'll try not to take that privilege too far. Do you ever have a patient for more than one clinical trial, or is it we have a specific need, we need to find this type of person, and then they have the symptoms or condition, and you help, you put them through the trial, and that's it? Are they able to participate in more than one trial because maybe they have more than yeah, one I condition? Think, so you can yeah, they can't do more than one study at one time. So okay. it's really important that we collect really good quality data on that medication. But once they complete the study, you know, if they've had a good experience with most of them do, then we can work with them again in the future. And it, it just depends on the protocol. It, it could be 30 days later, maybe it's six months later. It just depends. But a lot of people, you know, they like working with us. So they, you know, they contact us again and again to see if we have any new studies. So you have a community then of people that are available and potential clients for doing the clinical trials. You right. have a database. You right. have oh, a, yeah, we have a huge. A, we have a huge database that right. we run, um, and people can go to our webpage, citrials.com, and they can fill out a, um, a patient interest form, and it goes to our to Lisa and her group, and then we'll contact you um, via email or phone, whichever you'd prefer. Okay. And then we can put you in the database and then let you know when we have new products. I mean, we have products starting all the time, and all disease states, you know, cardiovascular, uh, high, high cholesterol. We have... We have gout, we have hypertension, we have, I guess, diabetes, diabetes schizophrenia. We have a COPD study that will be starting. Heroin addiction. Oh, we have a heroin. Yeah, that's a really wow. exciting new, that, that's actually kind of a new business for us is uh, substance abuse. And we have a fantastic doctor, um, Dr. Sender, in uh, Riverside. He's one of our principal investigators there, along with Dr. Patel, who does internal medicine. And they kind of cover San Bernardino and Riverside. And they, um, Dr. Center specializes in uh, substance abuse in addition to just general psychiatry. And we're doing an a opiate, a, a opiate abuse study with um, a marketed compound. And it's, it's very exciting to be able to reach out to those people and be able to help them. And, I can imagine. Yeah, and I think... You know, in San Diego, we primarily focused, uh, Dr. Barroya, Anon, and Fitzgerald, our doctors there, mm-hmm. they focus primarily on psychiatry inpatient and outpatient. And they do a great job, and they, they've really found a nice niche in that area, which is great because they they just really have um, a great way of bringing in people. And they have a really good access to public transportation down there as well. Right, San Diego does. Yeah, yeah which I'm we don't have. Yeah, it's great. And we don't have as much with in Orange County. <laughs> Though Dr. Koskinas, our, he's actually our medical director. Uh-huh. Um, so I, you know, I work really closely with him with all of our um, investigators. And he's over at our Custom Mesa site. Um, I think him and Dr. Anderson do a great job. And Dr. Cephas. Um, at, at the site, really working with patients and trying to find the right thing for them, whether it be inpatient or outpatient. We just completed a phase one study that was very exciting, mm-hmm. um, which is a phase one is the first time. Uh, let me explain. That. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. explain it to you, but yeah. let me. Right. Uh, phase one is Throwing the first. All this jargon out. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, but we are going to take a commercial break. Oh, okay. I, my engineer gave me the it's time to take a break. And uh, I'm speaking with Deborah Hoffmeyer and Lisa Getz, and we're talking about their company, CI Trials, very interesting uh, area of medicine and healthcare that they're in. We'll be right back. We have a list of questions. I'm not sure how many of them I'm going to get through. We're going to get through some of them after these words from our commercial sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? 
At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. I got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step. So I smart stopped and took a minute to think. I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With Smart Stop, I leave the stress at the door. Cause it's the smarter way to store. Smart Stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart Stop, the smarter way to store. Business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. In the past 30 days, you've downloaded over 12,000 copies of our show. We here at the program and the radio station really appreciate your continued and growing support. As I said before the break, we sort of interrupted our conversation. Uh, Deborah, you were talking about your locations and the different work that you do. I'd like to finish that thought, and then we'll move on for other questions that I have for you. But what else is there to add to the conversation that we were having before the break? Um, well, I left off. We were talking about um, Costa Mesa and Dr. Yes. Koskinas, who's the medical director of CI Trials, which is great. He's a great partner in business. Um, as I said, he works with all of our investigators to kind of recap a little bit. Um, we've already talked a little bit about Riverside. Um, our Santa Ana site, which is actually the first site that we had, mm-hmm. is with Dr. Franklin Dr. Reef, and they do a great job there. That's more of an outpatient clinic. You know, they're... Dr. Franklin is a UCI professor, and Dr. Reef is just a world of experience. And so it's really nice to be able to reach out to that community as well. We do have an LA site up in Bellflower. Um, That's Dr. Ty, and and, um, and Dr. Reef also is up at our um, LA site. And then um, I think lastly, just, uh, you know, I touched a little bit about our San Diego site and the niche down there, and that kind of covers all of our sites. So those are five sites? Yeah, five sites covering all of Southern California. And a firm with five sites, is that a, in your industry, is that a large number of sites, a medium number of sites, a small number of sites? I don't know uh, that area. Do you, do you have a sense for that? I would say a, 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 a larger um, a larger number of sites. Most most clinical research facilities are 
comprised of one okay. facility. Right. Okay. Right. So, so there's complexity that comes with additional sites, isn't there? I can, oh, yes. I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Having multiple sites. At least they're all drivable, right? They're all here in Southern California. That's That was the, um, the initial goal. And then, you know, hopefully in the future we'll be able to expand out um, mm-hmm. nationwide. But I think right now it's nice just to have a hub here that mm-hmm. I can reach out to within a a day travel anyway, anyway, anyway I go. All right. Well, I'm going to turn my attention again to you, Lisa, and I'm okay. talking with Lisa Getz. She is the marketing manager, right? Director. Right. Sorry, director. The difference between director and manager, I know that promotion. It's I don't okay. want to go back and step okay. on you here. Let's talk about your use of social media because I know you, you opened up talking uh, with Facebook, et cetera. So right. can you tell us how does CI Trials use social media to reach the people that you can help through your clinical trial programs? Well, a lot of what we do on Facebook is just giving information about different, all, all different things. You know, it could be mental health. It could be internal medicine. I just try to put things on there that are informative and interesting to read. And then every once in a while, I send in a little plug about a study that we have. So, you know, really with social media, it's try to get your, get as, the biggest audience that you can. So you can't be selling constantly right. about the yeah. studies. You know, it has to be something, oh, wow, I didn't know about this. So I really scour a lot of different articles from all over, not only the United States, but globally to try to find things that are relevant that people might be interested in that are happening all across the country about research or, or different different things that people are trying now with um, to, to treat people. So it sounds like your Facebook page is an education-based page that people who maybe aren't looking to be patients in your clinical trials who oh, yeah. want to learn about your space, that might be a great place for them to right. to, to check out and to learn from. Right, okay. right. Yeah, we try to make it that way. Okay, yeah. so people in our audience are CEOs and business owners, mm-hmm. and maybe they're in a related industry, or they have a personal interest, or maybe mm-hmm. they have a spouse that's a healthcare provider. This sounds oh, like a, a yeah. resource for them. Oh, um, our Facebook, we have LinkedIn, we have Twitter, mm-hmm. our webpage. Yeah, it's great. You. I yeah, love being able <laughs> I know, it's great to have the world flat again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, our wonderful engineer is giving me the five-minute sign. Doesn't time fly when you're on I the radio? Know, I know. I tell you, so you guys, they're such interesting guests. Paul, we'll have to have them back. Because I've got a whole, I got a whole set of questions there I didn't even get to. So, But one that I did want to ask you about, because we talked about it in the newsletter that we sent out, and there may be people listening live or in the future as a podcast who want to know about it. Can you share a little bit about the recent globalization of your industry? And what I mean by that is clinics and trial centers setting up outside of the U.S. that might be being used by U.S. Uh, drug makers to run the trials. Can what's impact is that having? How you respond to that? Uh, does it even matter to the work that you're doing, or are you differentiating yourself from the global competition? At, at a site level, I think the um, globalization has been kind of interesting. You'll see a trend go to we've had um, when we do global projects, all you'll see sites from you know maybe Argentina. There's a, um, some great sites in Brazil, Canada. But of late, there's a lot of studies sites in um, South Africa, hmm. um, Russia. Is that cost-driven? Partially. Okay, I don't mean to. Oh I mean, no, but, no, no, no! But, but it I, sounds I mean, like to me. I, why would I go there? The only reason I might consider going there. Yeah, is you know, India. India's captured a big, um, a big market, um, and it does have an impact. I've noticed that, especially in the niche markets like psychiatry. Not as much, I think, in internal medicine, but in psychiatry. Um, 
you'll notice that uh, maybe a sponsor would put a big global project and 90% of the sites would be in the U.S. Well, now it's down to about 60 or 70. Wow. And so it's very competitive right. because these these sites and, um, and these studies are powered by a statistical number, and that number is based on the statistics behind the study. But mm-hmm. it gives you a, a certain amount of patients that you actually need. So whether it's 300 to 350 patients, that's now spread out over the world, and we're 70% of the sites, which gives us you know, maybe 30 sites in the U.S. where before we had 50 sites. And um, it's interesting um, to see that pendulum kind of swinging back and forth. Uh, With internal medicine, it's a little different. Um, Internal medicine, they're looking, their end is powered by so much. They have, they need, you know, 10,000 patients, which is very different. Mm. And so there'll be hundreds of sites and you'll see sites everywhere. And and they still use a lot of U.S. sites in internal medicine, um, we do, you know, we do quality work in the U.S., and all of our data is used to um, provide approvals for uh, drugs in the other, in other countries, right. with the exception of a few countries. I know Japan requires a lot of um, most of their data being collected actually on first to second generation uh, Japanese population. Mm. Uh, but other than that, most of the countries actually accept our data. We've even had uh, sponsors um, come to our site for a global project from out of the country to audit us, which, okay. you know, is interesting. It's a good experience, get a different right. feel for what their regulatory um, agencies are more focused on as opposed to what ours is. But uh-huh. Yeah, so it's definitely in- impacted the sites. I think probably more than anything is um, globalization on uh, from the sponsors in the CRO side, where there are entire medical surveillance teams now that have been moved to... Um, you know, to South America, our cardio surveillance is now um, primarily in India. Mm. So it's their own parts of their own organization that they've moved offshore. Yeah, and a lot of the sponsors now outsource quite a bit of their um, their research R and D development. Mm-hmm. So we're used to see like the Pfizer's and the EI Lilies managing their trials in house. Now you see a lot of that going uh, to their preferred providers, which oh. are the uh, CROs, the uh, clinical really? research organizations. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. Can you come back and talk about that? Yeah, I'd be happy I don't to. Have, Paul's giving me that we're almost out of time, and and you just opened the door to a whole <laughs> other area that I'm fascinated by, which is. That seems to me to be the core competency of a drug manufacturer is the trials, et cetera, and to have that outsourced. I'd like to understand how that's affecting the industry. And what you were talking about with globalization is it's basic supply and demand, isn't it? If you have more opportunity, more places around the world that can do the work, if you have more supply of the testing and the same numbers, then you're competing for a smaller piece of the pie here in the U.S. is kind of what I heard you say. Yes. I, I mean, I think, just to be clear on that, though, I would say that, you know, CI trials in the U.S. sites do a fantastic job at collecting data, and I think that we are superior in that capacity, though. It's nice to have the other countries on board and to have their data collected, because we want to get a good sample of the population, Right. and that should be everyone included. Right. I agree. And I hope nothing I said led anyone to think anything different than what oh, you just said. No. I, I wasn't including that. Okay, so I've got audience. They may want to learn about your Facebook page because it's educational. Maybe they know somebody who has a, a condition, if that's right, that might be a candidate for one of your trials. Where do they go to find out more about your firm online? They can go to our website. It's um, citrials.com, and our Facebook page is the same, CI Trials, and everything leads you to our Twitter feed. So that's the best way to start is just check out our website. Well, least I'm sorry. Oh, ahead. and we have, um, if um, someone doesn't have access to a computer or if it's easier for them to make a phone call, they can also call our one eight six six four study one, like the number four, and then study. Okay. S T U D Y one. Okay. 
Got that, ladies and gentlemen? She All repeated right. it, so hopefully you wrote it down. If not, yeah. Get, get the podcast version. You can replay it and catch it. Well, yeah. Lisa, Deborah, thank you so much for being thank on the you. show. You've been thank wonderful you. guests. You're this friends of the program. So and we're going to have you back. I'll have Rachel, our producer, schedule you both to come back so we oh, can great. go a little deeper on some of the other topics. Yeah, we can also bring our medical director back as well. I'm sure he'd love to speak. We're going to come over to your site and do a remote, Paul. We're <laughs> going to have awesome. a whole group there. All right. Well, we're going to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Bill Black, who is in the certified exit planner with the firm Exit and Retirement Strategies is our second guest. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. My company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. We couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus... Now I call my Commerce National Bank Relationship Officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863. Or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. And if you would like to reach an audience of CEOs and business owners in Southern California, then advertising on Critical Mass Radio Show may be the answer. Our audience is 98%, yes, 98% business executives and business owners. And you can reach our marketing department at 949-887-4104 if you'd like to learn more. As I said before the break, our second guest on the program today is Bill Black. He is a certified exit planner with over 25 years of succession and exit planning experience here in Orange County and in Southern California. Bill knows how to get business owners over the PERMA-5, and we're going to talk about that, your plan, into an exit strategy that works. Bill was one of the first in the U.S. to earn the prestigious CEXP, which is Certified Exit Planner designation, and served as the chairman of the private business group. Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. My pleasure to be here. Great voice. Great voice for radio, doesn't he, Paul? (laughs) Yes. Let's start by asking you, talk a little bit. I kind of gave the highlights here in the open, but tell us a little bit more about your professional background. Sure. 30 years ago, I started in the financial planning world, and I worked with a a large national company 
And they had me out uh, learning all about businesses and business owners and how to work with them. And after a few years, I became the strategy guy. So all the guys that wanted to work with business owners that didn't know much about what they were doing would bring me in. So my day in and day out was working with business owners to help them talk about their succession planning, how they could save for themselves without necessarily allowing all the employees to have to participate in things like that, and estate planning and all the things that go with being a business owner, all the tax traps and the planning issues. And so after 15 years of doing that, I started my own company, Exit and Retirement Strategies, and just focusing on helping the baby boomer business owner to find that path towards their exit. Sounds like you have the demographics working in your favor, don't you? I mean, you mentioned baby boomers and how many of them are turning 65 every day of the week. And Well, I was looking for a trend that wouldn't go away any time soon. Actually, the statistics are something like six uh, or someone turns 60 every six seconds for the next 15 years. Wow. So I have a pretty good audience out there. And what I find is that people turn 50 and they start thinking, you know, maybe in the next five or ten years I want to retire or maybe just rewire my Slow life. Down, right? Slow down, right? Slow down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I found that a lot of people are, are thinking this way, but they don't have no, anybody to turn to. And, again, I, I ran into a, a attorney that had started a whole group around this exit planning trend mm-hmm. uh, 15 years ago, and I was one of the first people to, to join that group. And uh, now there's over 500 exit planners in the country. So let's talk a little bit about your particular experience and maybe a key lesson that you've learned in building your practice. Here on the radio show, we like to say, can you tell us about your guiding principle? So if you if you have something to share with our audience, I'd like you to give us a little idea of your guiding principle, Bill. Well, I've always believed that first you give and then you get. So I'm a big believer. People are thinking about these types of things, and you know they tend to think, when I'm ready, I'm going to hang up, I'm going to put out an ad or talk to a broker, and that's going to be that. And like when a I, car, huh? When I'm yeah, done with the car, yeah. I'll yeah, put it in Craigslist or something. And they go visit a business broker, and they find out it's not worth what they thought they it was. It's usually worth <laughs> about a third what they thought it would be. And then they walk a away third? dejected and think, uh, yeah, usually owners tend to think their business is worth three times what it, what okay, it is. Okay, i got to sit right on here. that for a second because we have an audience mm-hmm. of business owners and executives out there. So you're saying in your professional experience the research shows? About the business owners think that the business is worth about three times what it really is worth Holy when they visit cow. evaluation. And that's person. usually a large part of their portfolio, isn't it? It's it's actually Sometimes very they're large. overweighted in their business, right? Absolutely. And you think of all the perks and the lifestyle that they've built into the profit and loss statement, and then they go to they go to someone and they go, here's the problem. Without you running the business, it's really not that valuable. Or the way you've structured it, it's all about you. So if you extract yourself from it, you really don't have much to sell here. Uh-huh. So what we find a lot of business owners do is they walk away dejected, and they need someone then to go into a, a, a value-based planning phase to help them build the value up so that it'll be worth what, it, what they need it to be to retire. So we're actually uh-huh. seeing a lot of business owners say, you know, maybe instead of selling my business, what I really want to do is go part-time. In other words, set my business up so that I can work less okay. ha- and build the value and have it become the part-time chairman instead of the, the overtime president, if you will, right. and, and work on strategies that will help me do that. And I'm hearing that from an awful lot of people these days. So it sounds like, in your scenario, that people may get the sticker shock of the value of their business as they're already into the mindset of moving to exit and retirement. It sounds like, to me, that might be the wrong time. How much time, in your experience, should a business owner allow for this exit retirement planning, succession planning strategy? 
Well, I get asked that a lot. Of, a lot of people have said, "When's the best time to start this?" And I say, five years ago." <laughs> Second best time is now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for a lot of people, it's going to take three to five years for them to get their business in sale ready shape, depending on how their business is is working uh, and and what its the value is and how involved they are, what kind of work they've done. Sometimes they'll have a key employee taking care of, second-in-command taking care of a lot of the day-to-day issues, and they really have to wor- worry about, is that employee going to get picked off at the wrong time? Yes. I mean, that's a big part of what we try to do is say, look, this, this employee is not only valuable to you, they're getting more and more valuable to your competitors as well. Right. Because of this trend of baby boomers all aging at the same right, aging and turning these monumental uh, important age changes, a lot of them are thinking, boy, if I could just pick somebody off from another, from a competitor, that could be my second in command. And it, it seems very logical to me, Bill, and I don't know if this is factually correct, but emotionally it makes sense to me. If I were a key employee of your company and I knew that you were planning for retirement, that might cause me to think about leaving the company, too, on a bunch of levels. One, our relationship. Two, I may not know who the new owner is. Three, if I'm not part of the future strategy and leadership, then maybe I don't want to be there anymore. It seems to me that it may not just be about you as the business owner. It may be about the key people in your company, too. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Employees are wondering, will I have a stake in the outcome here? Uh, what's going to happen if the owner dies? What happens if the owner decides to sell the company? I see the sun coming in and... and taking over some people's jobs, what's going to happen to me? I thought maybe after 15 or 20 years, I'd have a shot at running this place. I was in sales for a long part of my career, and my boss, my first boss, had a hat that had initials on it that stood for, so what's in it for me, right? (laughs) And you can never forget that people make decisions based on their own self-interest. And even in a business, a long-term employee, they may feel it's time to leave when when you haven't laid out a clear strategy for how they're going to be safe in the future. Makes yeah, sense. nobody wants to be out on the street when they're in their 50s no. uh, looking for a job. No. Uh, so a lot of people are wondering that. They, they're thinking, okay, the first stage of my life, maybe 10 or 15 years, I've put into working for this group. What's my stake in the outcome? Do I need to start thinking about that more? Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm pe- speaking with Bill Black. He's a certified exit planner with his firm, Exit and Retirement Strategies. We're going to take our final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And when we come back, I'm going to want you to talk about a current challenge that's facing your industry, maybe even your firm, and kind of what you're doing if it's affecting your firm, what you're doing in your team to address that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Critical Mass Radio Show here on octalkradio.net. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. My company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. We couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus, now I call my Commerce National Bank relationship officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, 
but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. And welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who downloaded shows of our, who've downloaded versions of our show as a podcast. Sorry about that. You've downloaded over 12,000, actually closer to 13,000 copies of our show over the last 30 days. We here at the program and the radio station thank you for your continued and growing support of our program. We're back talking with Bill Black. As I said, he is a certified, you're the first certified exit planner of the 700-plus people we've had on the radio program, Bill. You're the first with that level of education and distinction to ever be on the program. So that's something to celebrate. And your firm is Exit and Retirement Strategies. Well, thank you very much. It's it's an emerging trend. Again, it's a baby boomer-driven trend. As so many boomers move towards the exit, we needed somebody to come in and conduct the orchestra of advisors. Because what will happen is a business owner will go get tax advice, and then they'll go get legal advice, and then they're getting operational advice and financial advice, and everybody wants to basically conduct the orchestra. But the problem is exit planning goes across all of these different disciplines, and you need someone to come in and and keep the, the process moving and help prioritize. As you explained it, I think of the cartoon of the blind men all filling an elephant. I think they're all checking different parts of the elephant, and based on where they are in the elephant, they have different perceptions of what it is, right? A snake, a trunk, or whatever. And I think that may be happening in that scenario you're talking about, because they may be well-intended, but they're only, the advisors may be only seeing the world from tax or legal or some other area. There needs to, and sometimes the business owner isn't the right person to try to bring that all together and make sense of it. I could see how valuable an outside person, dispassionate person, could be to work with that group of trusted advisors. Well put. Yeah, what happens is a lot of business owners just go into a bunker mentality. They just say, I can't handle all of these people coming at me with their priorities. My real priorities are X, Y, and Z. So what we build is something called a roadmap, and the roadmap basically says where we're starting from and where we want to end up. And then we put together what's called a strategy playbook and bring in all the advisors and say, here's the body of work we're all going to work from. Now, you can change it, amend it, whatever you need to do, just don't throw it out. And then let's prioritize these strategies because they're out of 100 strategies, which is what we start with, there are probably 10 to 15 strategies we're going to work on over the next few years oh, for really? the business owner. So they have a, it's like a multiple choice then. They, they can choose the one that most fits their personal goals. A lot of owners have a front burner issue based on their personal experience and what they've seen happen, or they may have just heard their key employee wants to leave, so they need to focus on that. Now, b- business owners are used to working with uh, front burner and back burner issues all the time, yes. as you know. Yes, unfortunately I do. And tell me again, and tell our audience again, how long would you recommend they allow for this process? The actual building of the roadmap and the strategy playbook takes about six months, but the implementation can take years depending on what the strategies are. There'll be strategies we put into place right away, the front burner strategies. And then what we try to do is section it out so that's a manageable process for the owner, and they'll be working on a a systematic basis for the next 18 to 24 months, Hmm. again, 
attorneys will come into work and, and take a project, and then they might come back in a few months. Right. Uh, we might have valuations going on. We might be putting in strategies. Uh, the biggest one, the one that takes the longest, is task transition for the owner to basically list out all of their tasks and then start delegating those off and building processes so they can really focus on growing the business. Wow. And you help companies not only that are selling, but in your title, you know, you talked about succession as well. This is even appropriate if you have a family business and you're going to be transferring it to the next generation, I would think, as well, right? As, yes. As a matter of fact, there was just a survey that about 10 years ago, 60% of business owners wanted to sell to an outsider, and now about 60% want to retain the business and sell to transition to a key employee. Okay. Uh, again, maybe go part-time and yeah, keep those perks going, right. keep the income, keep the party going for a while. Number one, uh, the M&A market's a little low right now. Number two, taxes are high. And number three, there's nowhere to invest the after-tax proceeds. You can get a yield. So a lot <laughs> of people are just saying, yeah, other than that, there's no problems at all. So a lot of people are saying, let's just give me some of my life back. Let's go part-time, right. get the business operational and running and ready for sale. And then when the time comes, uh, when, when the right time comes, then it'll be ready to go. I really think this is where time can be your friend or your biggest enemy. Mm-hmm. And people, especially because a part of being a baby boomer is you never know what's around the corner for your own personal health. Right. Which can dramatically change the rate at which you plan to s- slow down. Right? That's one of those priority issues I was mentioning. A lot of people are seeing their parents or their friends get sick or pass away and they're starting to realize hey this isn't forever i need to if i'm going to explore some of these other issues i want to do it now right some businesses are run by by the kids of the of the original owners and they're saying it was dad's passion it really has never been my full passion right. i want to teach creative art right. you know something like that i'm a dancer time. i'm a dancer i want to be on dancing with stars <laughs> nothing wrong with that our engineer showed me a question that came from the audience which is how do people value businesses how are if you're going to sell your business mm-hmm. what are the metrics is it EBITDA is it revenue what are, what is the valuation model well typically evaluation is going to be based on a, a a discounted future earnings approach and this that just means it's a present value of say the next 10 years of revenue flow and when we apply a factor uh, it's going to come in somewhere probably around three to six times EBITDA for most most businesses. And EBITDA uh, is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So it's really the and net why is profits. Why such an important? Why do people pick? Why do? Why is that number the number people look at? It shows your return on investment, your your free cash flow, if you will, of the business. And and most people have a choice. They can put the money in the bank and earn well nothing today, or they can right. they can put it into an investment and earn. 10 to 15 percent, hopefully, if they get into the market and take some risks there, or they can invest in this business and they, they expect a rate of return on that based on the stability of those earnings, the reliability of those earnings, how much of those are recurring. So the more you have recurring revenues, for instance, and um, mm. subscription-based types contracts of things, contracts, and, right. sure, uh, a certainty towards the future, right? A certainty. People will pay top dollar for that. But also, those are financial buyers that are looking to buy for a return on their investment. Okay. Uh, if you're really looking to maximize your, your value of your business, you try to set up as a strategic mm. sale. Somebody in your industry. Somebody, maybe. a much bigger player in your industry, 
and you're in a niche or a location or you've got a process that they really need to have, and they're going to absorb that in no time, so they'll pay top dollar for So they'll give you a better multiple because it's accretive to what they're already doing or something? They're going to strip out a lot of the overhead, and they're just going to bolt on their your niche into their distribution system. So it's a more profitable business because they can reduce costs. Very much so. I get it. So we talk to a lot of owners about, you know, let's, let's really explore what the value is. Sometimes we'll find there's two or three lines going on in a business, and one of them can be sold strategically, and the rest of them are just maybe those go away or those are financial buyer type of, of situations. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can stratify between and focus for the next five years on becoming a strategic purchase. That's a lot of the, the rewarding work that we can do is to help an owner think outside the box and really think about how to differentiate what they do and, and become a and what size a companies? Jewel. Sorry, but what size companies do you generally work with, Bill? Well, the minimum I go uh, I work with on a service basis is about three million dollars in revenues, okay. and for manufacturing, it's more like ten. And right. my sweet spot's more in the range of fifteen to twenty-five million. Okay. But that's our uh, audience. Again, yeah. my my main criteria is: Are you coachable? Are you really looking for this, or are you looking for somebody to tell you something that doesn't exist? It's amazing how many entrepreneurs are difficult to coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lead you know CEO peer groups where uh, I don't do the direct coaching. The members coach each other, and we help each other improve. And it's not for everyone. You have to be willing to hear things that maybe your employees have learned. It's better not to talk to you about. Right. And I would think in this area because it's the next closest thing to wealth management for a business owner. Right. That's an area where when I have wealth managers on there, that's a very personal conversation you're having with people. And then if you're talking about their business, many times it's like a child to them. Right. And it's a manifestation of their value system. So to be again the game, well, other people don't value it the same way you do. That's got to be a difficult conversation. Right. You have to be very good at adapting to what's going on. What really understanding what's in the owner's heart, soul, mind, and and pocketbook, I guess as well what they need to get out of this business sometimes it's not money that's motivating them it's it's uh, just the desire to pass the business on so it it takes a again a multidiscipline approach to be able to say if you can hold on to this business and have it run itself so to speak right. for a few years you'll have the money in the bank if you harvest your your profits and then you can practically give it away not that you would but right. it'll be a lot easier for you to transition out so Boy, there's a lot of you know when you said there's 100 you start with 100 options i'm just i i don't know that i could sit down and brainstorm 100 so working with someone like you who's seen there been there done it worked on 100 different ways for business owners has got to be a very powerful thing so if someone in the audience would like to learn more about your work how do they find you online well i have a very good re- website for educational materials you can find it at www.exit-retirement.com so exit-retirement.com is where you can find tools and workbooks and things like that that can really help educate you on this whole exit planning process well I, there clearly needs to be an education because every it's Death in taxes, right? Everybody's going to, and, and business owners are going to face at some point time to get out of the business. Hopefully, you do it on your terms and you're not forced to do it prematurely because of health reasons or something else. So, I think you can never start with this too early. And, final question, Bill if someone isn't really ready for the exit strategy implementation, but they just want to learn a little bit more about you, are you open to talk with people to help? give them advice? Absolutely. It's all about education, as I said, and giving away. I have a number of white papers. I can email people and help educate them. On my website, www.exit-retirement.com, there's something called a sellability score, and an individual can go on there, and in about 15 minutes, they'll get a 30-page report back wow. that tells them how they score based on their answers. Wow. That's worth 
trying out. I mean, how could you not do that? That is fantastic. I love entrepreneurs that come up with these great <laughs> ideas. You have been a joy to interview today, Bill. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being a friend of the program, and welcome to our community. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'd like to thank Paul Roberts, who engineered our show perfectly, flawlessly today. I'd like to thank our producer, Rachel Franzi, who lined up two, well, actually three, great guests for the program. I want to thank Kathleen Shepard, our guest coordinator, Kelly Faltis, our marketing manager, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi, and saying until we have a chance to speak again, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.